Hello, and let me extend a warm welcome back to my wisdom of well-being wombats. You're listening to Wellbeing in Your Wallet. If this is your first time, welcome. If not, welcome back. We always enjoy you coming back for another episode, and uh, you know, you got to keep coming back to understand those inside jokes of wombats and all the fun stuff that we talk about here on the podcast. So, uh, hope that motivates you to subscribe. And you know, if not, hopefully today's episode will give you that uh, motivation you're looking for. So, we have another special guest episode coming at you. Um, and not only is it another guest episode, but this is actually our first return guest to the podcast. We did not scare her away the first time, so we got to be doing something right. Uh, but first, I do have to introduce my co-wombat in well-being. Uh, he actually once told me that his wife has notifications set for all of his debit card purchases. <laughs> it's Sean Lubitz. Sean, say hi to the folks. Uh, hello, everybody. I try to not make her aware of these features, but um, no. Welcome back, everybody. Again, for those of you who are new to turning, uh, tuning in, my name is Sean Lubitz. I'm the Vice President of Retail Branches here at Affinity Federal Credit Union. And again, always looking forward to uh, my time with Grant on these podcasts. So I appreciate it, Grant. Thank you, Sean. Uh, and I actually forgot to introduce myself. My, my name is Grant Gallagher. I'm the Head of Wellbeing here at Affinity Federal Credit Union uh, and your other co-host on, on the pod. Uh, as I mentioned, so we have a very special return guest. Uh, you may not recognize her name if you peeked at the the show notes um, because she's actually updated her last name since the last time she joined us. So uh, it's Heather Harilla. Uh, she's a member development officer here at Affinity. Um, and Heather, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Sure. So uh, thanks for having me again. Um, so I am Heather Harilla. I am a member development officer at Affinity. And my role at Affinity is engaging with our select employee groups, which are the different ways that you can join Affinity, and working closely with those groups to educate them on Affinity, as well as financial seminars, membership enrollment events. And I recently did like a coffee and chat meeting with a bunch of employees um, at a partner of ours, and we just drank coffee and kind of chatted about financial struggles that a lot of us are going through. Um, and what I can do to help and what affinity can do to help. But these partnerships are a great way for um, kind of to have a resource, which um, would be me um, if I was assigned to their business, but to kind of lean on for support and, um, you know, with education and setting up a membership. And a lot of businesses offer affinity, uh, the membership to their employees as part of like a benefits employee package. So that membership then opens the door to many opportunities, different benefits, and the ability to kind of strengthen their financial well-being, which is absolutely huge. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I get to be a part of that, and it's a very rewarding career. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, we appreciate all the hard work that you do out, out in the community and uh, spreading the good well-being word. Uh, so... You know, before we jump into the, the main discussion here, let's uh, do a little bit of icebreaker, as, as we typically do. Um, I'll kick this over to Heather first as our special guest. So, Heather, how would you describe you and your partner's financial habits? So, before I met my husband, I was very independent with my money. Um, I was kind of taught at a very young age, you know, if you want something, you have to work for it. You have to earn it. You want a car. You want to spend money on the things that you want. You've got to get a job and you earn it, which... I'm kind of very glad that that's the way that I viewed money because it kind of taught me to save and view the dollar kind of differently. And it's funny how it kind of changes the way 
the way that you think. Like I had to work one full hour for this meal or this new shirt. Like, is that really worth it to me now that I kind of can put it into perspective? And my husband was the exact same way growing up when I met him and our views on money were very in line with one another. But we kind of went in with the same mindset and conversations about money happened very early on. We both kind of wanted somebody with the same views. So we're both definitely savers, but we do like to have fun as well. But that comes with more of a plan. We have to plan for it and save it if it isn't like a normal thing. But as far as like splitting things, I think with the amount of like reoccurring bills that we have, it would be very impossible to split things down the exact middle. So we have like a bills account. We like throw money into there. If it's over, we just bring it over to the next month. But, you know, we're definitely savers, but we know when we can have fun and when the timing is appropriate. And that's when the bills are taken care of. But that's kind of the gist of how, how we do things. Nice. 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 So it's, yeah, it's, it's thoughtful and with a plan. And I mean, that's basically 90% of, you know, what we encourage people to do to, to kind of keep themselves out of hot water is you have to be willing to, to talk about it and open about it and just thoughtful. You know, it's, it's one of those things where there's no wrong way to spend unless you're not thinking about it. You know, if, if, you've, if yeah. you've thought about it and it still feels good and it still feels like the, something that's worth your time, you know, you've thought about the amount of effort or work that goes into to that purchase, then yeah. If it still makes sense, do it. Makes you happy, right? Mm-hmm. Sean, how about yourself? Oh, I, I went back and forth on this, right? There, I think there's a lot of awesome things that me and my wife do as far as just budgeting and making sure that we, you know, we keep an eye on our finances. But I will put the reality out there as well. I think if I had to describe um, how we manage our finances, I would say consistently inconsistent, right? So I think we've. We, it seems like every year there is a new, whether it be a challenge or a new opportunity, um, our financial situation changes, right? We've talked about it on previous episodes. There's an issue with the house, unexpected, right? Or, you know, this year we're going on a cruise. So we're taking our, our three daughters on a cruise, which we're looking forward to. Um, I think we all know at this point, Grant is a way better planner than I am when it comes to finances. Mm, I wouldn't um, go that far. Uh, I don't know, Grant. But <laughs> we, uh, I would say consistently inconsistent. There's a lot of really, really good things we do as far as planning for you know retirement and planning for the future. But when you look at short term, um, there's room for us to improve on there. Uh, but at this, again, at the same time, we, we try not to overextend ourselves. Right? We're, we're not the yeah. people that have eight different checking accounts for your, your coffee every morning and then, you know, dinner once a month. We don't separate it to that extent, uh, but we do keep an eye on it. But uh, we like to be able to to have some money so when things come up, good or bad, we're able to you know handle that appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, my, my wife is actually even more frugal than I am. Um, can't, I can't I'm, believe I, it, Grant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually the, the spender in the relationship, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but I mean, we, we do, we, we pay attention to our finances. We have a plan in place. We kind of talk about if big purchases are coming up or, you know, how we're going to navigate the waters when it, when it comes to a big financial decision. So, I I mean, that's kind of in a, in a broad perspective, perspective, I would just kind of say we're, we're partners in it. 
you know, we, we talk about it, we plan it. Um, nobody really shames each other for any of their financial behavior. Cause we, you know, we trust each other to kind of be thoughtful in, in our, our spending and, and saving behaviors. And, you know, it's, uh, that's all I can really ask, you know, as long as you, you've thought about it and you've decided it's a good choice all for it. I mean, you know, my wife hasn't surprised me by going out and buying a Maserati at any point. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I trust that she's going to continue to make those financially responsible decisions and, you know, come to me when, when she needs a, a gut check. Right. And I think, I think that's important too, Grant. Like you said that just as a relationship, as a whole, you do need to keep each other in check, right? But you have to be open and honest. It's it's very easy. I should say it's easier, not very easy. It's easier to manage your your money when you are your only priority, yeah. right? You have no spouse. You have no kids. Um, there's a lot more freedom there. Once you get into a relationship, get married, have kids, those things are just extra responsibilities and things you want to be more thoughtful about when it comes to finances. But um yeah, it's always nice to have that the kind of checks and balances in the relationship for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you couldn't tell already, this is obviously going to be a conversation about family finances. Uh, this is actually the second part in our Splitting the Check series of how couples and families manage their financial well-being. Um, if you'll recall, we previously had a discussion with Jessica Henley from my team. Um, she and her partner were uh, engaged and planning their wedding, and they were talking about how they were managing their finances and, and navigating that. Um, but you know, in this episode, we're moving ahead to another couple situation. We have Heather here to talk about you know what happens to your finances when you're adding in a child or children. You know, just family financial planning in general. Um, you know, things to think about when you're getting ready to have that child. What to do when you do have that child? Maintaining those finances. You know, all of these things are steps along the way that people don't kind of think of as different phases. Um, but you know, I, I have to say having kids is, uh, it's a big financial decision. It is, it is very expensive and, you know, I have to definitely put out there daycare, one of the biggest bills that hit my account. And that's, you know, not the only one feeding them, clothing them, you know, you gotta, you know, take them to the doctor and stuff like that. You know, who, who would have known <laughs> if, if somebody told me this years ago, maybe I, I would have second thought this, but you know, here we are with our families and loving kids. Um, and yeah, just in general, finances can be a big stress for couples, you know, um, just to throw this out there for that for que- first question over to Heather, you know, what are, what are some ways that you manage it? What are some ways that you can avoid some of that stress? Um, what advice do we, do we have for the audience today? So I just kind of want to piggyback on the daycare comment because <laughs> I almost fainted when I saw how much daycare was going to be. I, I was not expecting that at all, but, yeah. um, but I would say for, as far as avoiding stress, I would say like limit unnecessary spending. And Sean had said before about like having open and honest conversations I think those can honestly just open the door for very healthy conversations. And one day I sat down with my husband and we wrote down all of the stuff that we were spending our money on. And it was kind of like, all right, like, let's see where we are. And we were like, um, we're spending a lot of money in the morning because we're going to Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. And I was so sad when we broke down the numbers because when you put it on paper, it kind of makes it more of a reality. 
Like, yeah. whoa, we're spending all of this money on this. So we ended up buying a coffee machine and making coffee at home. But And honestly, it tastes almost the same. But we solved the problem before it became a problem, which absolutely avoided stress. Um, and if you let that problem sit too long, it could get worse or you don't even realize it's a problem until you sit down with your partner and, and have conversations about finance. And I know that some people dread these conversations and sometimes they can be tough, but I think as long as it's a healthy conversation, it can lead to, to good things and, and avoid stress. Yeah. Okay. I, I think one of the things that, and, and this isn't everybody, but some people kind of have a avoidance personality when it comes to things that they stress over that they're not comfortable with. And, and money, money is that topic for a lot of folks, but I can assure you, you know, burying your head in the sand and hoping that it fixes itself has never been a successful strategy for finances. Like it's, it's never worked maybe once. If you're that one person, congratulations, you won the lottery, but you really have to tackle it, look at it heads head on and, and just talk about it. You know, we've heard horror stories in the past of, you know, people who get into relationships and they don't talk about finances with their, their, their significant other. And then they get married and they find out that their significant, significant other brought tens of thousands of dollars in debt to that relationship because they had a spending problem because they, you know, didn't know how to manage their credit cards. Right. And if you talked about those conversations upfront and figured out a way to solve it, it's no longer this hidden secret. It's no longer this point of stress. It's a problem that you're both there working together to solve. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I think your initial question too is kind of a loaded question, right? So the way I look at it is you cannot avoid financial stress. You you can't, any of our listeners, if we did a poll to our entire membership base here at Affinity, you know, who has never felt stressed about finances, I would be absolutely surprised um, if anybody says, yep, not me, never stressed, right? It comes in different forms. And I think it's just a way of how do you manage the stress, right? And how do you how do you look at it differently? Again, a single person, how do you manage your stress when it comes to finances? You become, you know, married or you get into a relationship. How do you manage those stresses now? Um, the stresses are going to be there. I think the important part is, is recognizing that it's not just a, a you problem, right? Everybody goes through these stresses at some point in their life. And then, um, again, putting plans in place to, to manage it. Um, and we've done a lot of podcasts on this before, right? Budgeting, just preparing for those stresses because they will happen. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no, no secret to it. Unfortunately, it it really is just being, being thoughtful about it, planning, having those discussions and, you know, recognizing that it's not just either one of your problem. It's both of your, both of your problems to solve for. It's both of your, your problem to, to plan for, um, you know, and, if you don't know the answers and you don't know how to solve for it, it's knowing to go and, and ask for help. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that either. So definitely a couple of ways that you can, to your point, not avoid the stress, but reduce the stress, try to get ahead of it. Um, and, you know, just look at your finances as, as a point of enabling what you want to achieve with them, not as that point of stress. So I know another thing that can also cause some stress in relationships is when there's a disconnect between who is a saver and who is a spender in a relationship. 
that can definitely, and I, I think it's probably, you know, more of the saver that's probably going to be stressed out. Um, but you know, when there's a, a, you know, dynamic like that, where there's a saver and a spender and they're not necessarily on the same page, how can, what advice can we, can we offer those couples to help manage their finances and kind of meet in the middle, uh, across their differences? Yeah, I think, um, so something for me, and I, I touched on a little before is I think what me and my wife could have done better. We, we plan long-term, right? We plan for retirement. So we, we have it under control. We have what we need for the day, right? We want to go to, to dinner this week. We can do that. It's looking at that, that year, two years, three years, five years out. What do you want to accomplish in that time frame? And then being proactive with your finances versus reactive. Um, one thing that, again, I think we could have done differently is when we had children, right? You, I sit there with my firstborn, Kaylee, look in her eyes and go, all right, how are we going to figure this out? Versus, yeah. hey, we would like to have kids someday. Let's start to prepare. Let's keep our monthly expenses down, right? Knowing we have daycare that's going to come up soon. Um, I think, again, just having that conversation of like, hey, where do we see ourselves in three or five years? And how can we plan financially for that versus we're good at 65, we're good right now, but what does five years from now look like? One, one of the pieces of advice that I can offer to the savers to try to uh, manage the spender behavior is think about the things in your budget that do require some shopping. You know, a lot of the time, it's not necessarily that spenders just want to go out and spend money. It's just that they like to, they like to shop. And there are things that you're going to have to spend money on no matter what, you know, whether it comes to, to groceries, to clothes, just different things around the house. And if you kind of shift that perspective of, okay, you know, can you re realign that shopper energy to be towards things that we need to spend on and here's your budget, you know, you might be able to curb some of that shopper behavior or spender behavior. I'm not going to say it's going to solve for it. It's still, you know, especially if people are uh, spending for retail therapy, you know, that's that's part of their the way that they get their uh, stress out. Um, that, that's a whole nother bag of worms to, to tackle. But, you know, that is something that you can do to, to try and kind of flip the script. It's like, okay, it's okay to spend money but try to keep it in this budget line and within budget, you know, and, and if they're a competitive person, maybe it'll be a challenge to them. Maybe they're willing to, you know, bet that they can do it or they can't do it. You know, maybe, maybe put some money on the line. Who knows? A lot of ways to motivate people. You just got to be, be a little creative about it. Heather, what are your thoughts? So I mean, I think this is a conversation that definitely needs to happen in the beginning ish of a relationship because that can lead to stress in the relationship later on. And it might make one person feel like they're investing in the future more than the other, which obviously good communication is like key. Um, but if something is upsetting you about your joint finances or even how the other person is spending their money, there are ways that you can speak up in a more healthy way like instead of like yelling, like, like why are you yeah. spending so much money on Amazon? Um, but you know, maybe one person just doesn't know how to save or healthy habits to have because they just never, they never learned or they don't even have a savings. We're never taught the benefits. Um, like maybe even a CD would be beneficial for somebody so that they don't touch the money, but they don't know that it exists. 
they don't know that that product exists. And, you know, if somebody in the relationship has different strengths, maybe you can teach your partner how to save and how to flourish financially, but it's not like a, like a ha ha better at something than you. It's, it's a partnership and you're supposed to learn and, and grow with each other. And to your point too, Heather, I think it is, you know, it could be mutually beneficial, right? So the, the easy way and myself included, we sit and we talk about how the saver can help the spender save money. But there also is the, the, the reverse of that, right? There are some people who you are, you are so frugal, you're not enjoying the experiences, right? Like Grant, like we've talked about many times on the, on the show also. So sometimes it is that person who isn't necessarily an overspender, but they're like, you've worked so hard for this money. Let's go to dinner every now and then. Let's go on a vacation for a week this summer. Um, sometimes it is letting go of, you know, making sure that every penny goes towards savings. You want to make sure that, you know, you've worked very hard for that money. You want to enjoy it. And you want to enjoy the experiences with friends, family, um, or even just the two of you in the relationship. Yeah. If your saving strategy is to save all of your fun and uh, just discretionary spending for retirement, you're not going to make it. It's not going to work. It's going to be a very long, miserable journey. And it's great if you are trying to retire early, but you gotta, you gotta build in some buffer. You gotta give yourself a break every once in a while because, you know, just marching that path is a tough one. And then asking somebody to do it with you is an even bigger, tougher proposition. So, you know, Go out to eat once in a while. Enjoy yourself. Use 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 a little bit of that money to to actually relax. Mm -hmm. de, you know, de stress. You, just just keeping track of your finances to that high of a level can be a very burdensome, tiring activity. So you know, think about it from that perspective. Um, going back to Heather, something that you mentioned is blind spots. And I think that's a really important point is if somebody is doing something and they don't even consider it to be a problem, they don't even consider it to be a challenge, just having that conversation and opening their eyes to be like, hey, if you continue to spend at this rate, we're not going to be able to retire. We're not going to be able to reach X goal. We're not going to be able to do Y is a really valuable conversation to have just to bring awareness to it because for some people they might not even realize their 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 behavior is going to be detrimental to their financial future. But if you know better and you you breach that topic and have that conversation with them, you can then help get them on the right track. So that's that's really valuable. Um, do you do you have any recommendations on how you can start that conversation? Oh man, it's um, <laughs> I, I I would say my advice. It, it can't just come out of nowhere, right? You don't, you don't want to be at a Late night text a, message. Yeah. Or you're sitting at a nice dinner and you're enjoying yourselves. You're like, let's have this conversation right now. Right. It's, you don't want to, it's a certain type of conversation that needs to be had. So I think kind of leading into it, ensuring that you're, you're both on the same page and you, you want to have this conversation. I think the why of the conversation needs to be agreed upon prior to even getting into the details. Right. So why are we having this conversation, right? Because we want it to be a beneficial conversation. We want to make sure that we put ourselves in a better situation. We relieve stress from, from each other. Um, understanding the why first is going to be very important because if you're on different pages of why you're having the conversation, it could just, 
I would bet you it will lead to more of an argument and you'll be in a worse situation than you were going into it. I, I personally approached the topic with my wife by putting out a TikTok and expecting <laughs> her to just respond back to me. <laughs> uh, I love it. Actually, in, in reality, we, we, we have a, a weekly family meeting. Um, and, you know, finances is a continuous line item in that meeting if there's anything we need to talk about. You know, don't if you don't make it the focus of the conversation, but wrap it into just a larger relationship conversation, it can make it less stressful, less of, you know, kind of feeling like that's a, a target or, or, you know, you're really focused on somebody's behavior that you're trying to correct versus just something that you wanted to have a discussion about. You know, it's one of those things where you, you should use a lot of I statements, not you statements. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, um, but those you know those are just some of the things that I've I found works. Um, but it's important to remember everybody's relationship is different. Everybody has a different dynamic. Everybody has a different level of comfort with directness. So your mileage may vary. It's it's really what works for for you you and your partner. Yeah, Heather, do you do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was just thinking, you know, if you're listening, you can just say. To your partner, I heard this podcast at Affinity oh, and it go. got me thinking and kind of like... That you should subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like kind of like I feel it's better when you have like a gateway. Like this is why I'm thinking of it. You know, it didn't just pop into my head. You know, the, you know, Heather, Sean and Grant got me thinking, you know, um, that maybe these conversations should be had and I would kind of go from there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Not a bad way to start it. Yep. It is not. It, it is always nice to have a soft transition and, and segue to kind of soften that blow instead of just ripping off the band bandaid out of nowhere and saying, <laughs> I'm putting you on a budget. Yep. <laughs> I don't I, I don't think that'd be well received, right? Probably right. not. No. Um so Heather, I'm curious kind of how you and, and your partner tackle the finances. Do you, does one of you take the lead? Do you collaborate on it? Is it, you know, is he sending up debit card notifications for what you're spending on? Um, you know, is, I'm just trying to, you know, figure out what is kind of the standard. And I realize there's no real standard out there for, for how people manage their finances. It's, it's all sorts of different ways, but what's, what's worked for you? You know, what's worked for you and your partner? So definitely trial and error. You know, we've tried things and we're like, this is this is not working. <laughs> um, so we actually have like little savings buckets. So on our accounts at Affinity, you can actually label the account to something that you're saving up for. Mm -hmm. um, so we just used one, one of those joint savings for Christmas. So we'll kind of just throw in money. And then like early December, we'll use that bucket for um, Christmas gifts for the kids and for each other. But we try to start that nice and early because Christmas can definitely get expensive and the financial hit at once can definitely hurt. Um, but each month we've allotted an amount for spending things on each other that the other person can't really say anything about. So we decided on an amount to put on there every month. And then if you decide to save that, you know, allotted amount and then buy something bigger, like a bigger purchase, or if you want to spend it on little things during the month, um, then you do that. But 
that's spending kind of outside of your necessities, like outside of food, water, shelter, and spending it on more like self-fulfillment needs. Yeah. Like, let's say I want to spend money on my like 20th hobby that I'm going to get bored in with in a week. <laughs> I got to take that out of my bucket. <laughs> it's not coming out of okay. like our joint stuff. Um, but things are pretty smooth because we communicate about things. And it's also hard when you own a house because it's like, great, now this has to be fixed. So I got to put that bucket aside for a second and, and fix this. So that's kind of why we have little buckets for different things and we just throw money in there during the month. But that works for us. You know, it took a while to get to what works for us, but that's what we decided on. <laughs> I could add to that quick. I think, um, again, from a, just a, a different perspective. So me and my wife, my wife actually 2020, end of 2023, she became a substitute teacher. So now she's feeling the the effects of um, the teaching life. And I give credit to any teacher out there that is listening. I know Grant, your wife, when we had her on the mm-hmm. podcast, she went through, you know, some of the the, the everyday activities of being a, a teacher. It is a tough, tough job. I will say this. The hardest job is a stay-at-home mom, no doubt. And my wife was a stay-at-home mom for about five, six years. Um so we were in a situation where my income was the only income coming in. Um, now that she does have her own income, she was just going to have a direct deposit right into our joint account. I really encouraged her to have at least a portion of that put into an account on her own. Um, I do think it's important for couples to have their own, you know, their own money to an extent. Um, we, and again, this is just us, every situation is different. We don't look at it as you pay this bill, I pay this bill. Uh, 95% of what we make goes into joint accounts. But that other 5%, I do think it's important to your to your point, Heather, is you have some money, right? Um, if you want to spend it on each other, if you just want to put it towards a hobby, it's something that really should not be questioned, right? That That's your money. You can do with it what you please. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I think we're in a, in a good place right now. But again, every situation is different. Nice. Yeah, there there's definitely some value to having your own finances. And, and my wife and I, you know, when we, when we got together, we got the joint accounts, we, we, you know, have tons of stuff that's joint, but I don't think we ever closed anything out from, from just being individual. We didn't transition everything over to being joint. Um, you know, some of that stuff, it's just more, more trouble than it's worth to, to try and do that. So, I mean, you know, I think we have one or two credit cards that we're both on, but everything else is still, previous individual credit cards, individual accounts. We, you know, consolidate our insurance, but a lot of the stuff, it, yeah, we still have a mix of, of both and it, and it seems to work for us. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll say that there's definitely times where I don't want her questioning my video game purchases and I don't want to have to question her, her yarn and crafting purchases. <laughs> like I, I've, I've, I've been in Michael's and Joanne fabrics and I've seen some of those price tags and ooh, boy. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that hybrid approach is a pretty good one, but again, that's, that's assuming that you're both capable of, of kind of managing your finances. If, if you're just, not not that kind of person and you know you'd like to rely on your spouse to to just manage the finances and take care of that stuff that's perfectly fine too as long as you you talk about it and you you have kind of that that understanding um you know we even though we do have a lot of joint stuff we don't have too many 
purpose-built accounts. I mean, I say that when we have like four of them, but you know, we have we have the car fund, we have the vacation fund, we have the 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 Christmas and, and holiday fund. Um, but outside of that, it's just kind of like we have our consistent savings and and the balance is, is on track and you know we we track it that way. But it's you know as little surprises as possible is really kind of our goal for those joint accounts and, and the budget in general. Um, you know, one of the things I'm curious, Heather, is do you have a account specifically for kids stuff or for daycare, things like that? How about maybe college savings? How do you guys a- approach that? Um, so, I mean, obviously there's people that think that joint, like 100% joint or 100% single, but we kind of have a mix of a bunch of different things. So, um, we have our original checking that we opened the one in my name and then the one in his name. Um, it kind of like, doesn't matter like where the money comes from for things because, you know, my husband actually said this to me one day when I was on my way to target, um, I couldn't find my wallet and he handed me his credit card and he had said, you know, it's not, like what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. It's like, whatever you spend is coming out of us as a collaborative unit. Like whatever I spend at target is less money that we have in our household. So it's kind of like, it made me think a little differently, you know, but, um, we keep, like I said, we have our own individual car or accounts. And then we have, um, we add each other as authorized signers on our credit cards. Um, but we kind of just, whoever pays it, pays it, you know, it just, yeah. it doesn't matter who it comes from. We're, you know, those are uh, dangerous words before a target trip. I'm not going to lie. Target is yeah. a, uh, a dangerous store for my family <laughs> and hobby lobby. <laughs> those two. Oh, absolutely. Get me every time. So let's, let's, uh, take it to the next step because obviously at the top of the conversation, we, we mentioned daycare expenses and, you know, just, how kids in in general are are just incredibly expensive in in so many different ways. Um, you know, well, how do how do you and and, and your your uh, significant other just approach that? How do you manage the kids' expenses? How do you make sure that you know one you're staying on track? Because I mean, that was one of the things that that right off the bat kind of hit me was there was a whole ton of things that I didn't know you needed to buy. I didn't know you needed to get ready for, you know, I didn't, and you know, you get, okay, a fair amount of stuff with a baby shower, you know, that lasts you for a little while. And then you find out that like your kid goes through 15 outfits a day and then they start growing like weeds and then you have to buy all new outfit. Uh, it just, it's like a never ending hamster wheel of just pulling out the credit card and, you know, going to buy bye baby or the kids section in target or, you know, daycare, Oh, daycare. So, you know, I, I think what I'm trying to get at is, you know, Heather, Sean, how do you guys navigate that? What's, what's your approach to it to just making sure that you, you have enough to cover kids' expenses, what's coming down the road? How, how are you planning for that? I think just um, understanding what you're spending money on, first and foremost, is, is huge. So yeah. to your point, you know, how much do diapers cost? Um, how much is daycare? How much is you know, the, the clothing? Is, you know, if we go to Target, are we spending five times as much on clothing or is maybe it cheaper at Target versus other places? So 
I think there's certain items you're going to have to get and that you're going to want to get right for your children. Everybody always wants to, you know, have to have nicer things for their children than they had, but understanding where you're spending money, I think is key. Um, just going out and swiping the card and just kind of keeping an eye on your, you know, where your balance is at is one way, but that's, you're not going to really have a true understanding of your finances at that point. Um, breaking it down and really understanding where you're spending money, what is costing the most, that's going to help you be able to budget and plan um, not only for future months, but a second child or, you know, years down the road. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the things that you can't do enough of is research, comparison shopping, understanding, you know, what, what the costs are and, and what you can do to reduce those costs. Um, you know, I, I will admit that I foolishly was completely oblivious to a dependent care flexible spending account. And that's something where you can get some real tax benefits to and save you some real money if you're, if you're, you know, qualify for it. Um, I, I amended my ways this year. I opened one and, you know, I am, I am going to get some, some savings there. But it's something that I, I didn't even, it was a blind spot to me. I didn't even know it was a thing until somebody was like, hey, you should go look into tax breaks or, you know, programs that you can benefit from. Um, and until I did that, I, I didn't even know that that was something out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do, do some research, see where you can save a little bit of money. Um, but, you know, also the, the really frugal side of me says, look to your, your friends and family, look to your network. You know, do you have local grandparents or, you know, an aunt or an uncle that's a stay-at-home parent that maybe you're, you're, can watch your kids one, two days a week? It's not, it's not time to be, uh, you know, proud when you're looking at that day, daycare tuition uh, statement. If you can save a couple hundred bucks a, a week just because, you know, you can consolidate and, and have your family pitch in, it can be a significant impact. To, to your financial well-being. Yeah, and I would say even beyond your your family and friends, your community, right? So yeah. a lot of different communities have have organizations with them within them or I've even seen on, you know, Facebook. We've talked about Facebook Marketplace. There's people who you know, I've seen them put themselves out there and just say I need help, and you'd be surprised yeah. how many people have these items or, you know, are willing to to help in any way they can. Um, on top of that, finding deals. Not everything needs to be brand new. So maybe there's certain yeah. items you can get, right? When, when you have kids, you realize that no matter how nice and neat that thing is when you buy it, it will be completely ruined, um, you know, probably within days from that yeah. child. So again, I think continue to focus also on just community. There's a lot of people out there who do want to help and have the means to help. Yeah. I, I will say straight up, you know, those plastic little Fisher price houses that, you know, your, your kids up until probably about five, they can, they can play in. We picked one of those up off the side of the road. Probably wasn't the first or second time it was out there on the side of the road. When somebody's kids got too small, power washed it, put some fresh, fresh screws and a little bit of paint in it. Doesn't look like new, but I'll tell you, my kids have never questioned a day of how much fun they had in that thing. Absolutely. They've been having that thing. It cost me very little. And when, when they get too big for it, I'm putting that on the side of the road with a, with a, you know, a free, free group posting just like everybody else did. So 
another another one of those is those those little cars. You know, the, I forget what they're called, but they're basically the same kind of like blown plastic little like little power bicycle. Wheels? Yeah, yeah, um, and sandboxes. I mean, those I see the you know see those all the time. So keep your eyes out. All right. Um, before we jump over to our member mailbag, Heather, did you have any closing thoughts uh, just talking about saving strategies for kids and, and childcare? Um, so I definitely want to piggyback on the research thing that, that doing your research is very important because as we kind of visited different preschools, um, they actually were kind of very different in price for all of them. And I was surprised. I thought they would kind of all be the same, but, you know, mm. we took them all, we laid them you know, all next to each other to see which ones were the best. Um, but using family as a resource, resource is very important too. Um, if you do have people that are in your life that can help, but childcare and preschool are one of those buckets that we have and it's a steady amount each month. But during the summertime there, my daughter's not going to be in preschool. So when she goes, it's going to be a little bit less. So we're actually going to pretend like it's the same amount and we're just going to keep putting money into that bucket and then when September comes, we're going to kind of be ahead of the game already. Um, so it just kind of like you got to shift your way of thinking like it's just going to be the same amount. Um, this way, if something happens, you kind of have a little bit extra if you need to dip into another bucket. Um, but it, as far as like even talking to your partner about like what do you think? And I always think about like those Christmas commercials where like the husband or wife comes home with a brand new car and you made a giant financial decision without talking to your partner. That's why these conversations are, are important, but that's like so unrealistic. You, you know, you kind of always have to talk to your partner when there's, you know, a lot of your income going into something, but yeah, research is important. Yeah. T- talking about it is, uh, is definitely important <laughs> on, on big purchases. Hopefully you, you both were having that conversation about what is the right daycare and, and, and what you, you can afford. Absolutely. Um, and actually it, it, one of the things that's interesting that, that my wife and I are looking at now is we're starting to think about pre-K and we're very lucky where my town does have uh, half day pre-K uh, offered. But then when you look at just kind of the before care, after care, we are doing some of the math behind it and actually like, you know, doing it, doing pre-K through our existing daycare isn't all that much more expensive than if we were to do before care, after care, basically all the other gaps besides the half day that they're, they're in, uh, pre-K. And I would have never thought that the math would kind of work out like that, where, you know, it's just not, might not be worth it. Might add some logistical challenges if we have to bring them anywhere, you know, in the middle of the day. So it's like, Man, the 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 math can be crazy sometimes. Where it definitely does not align with your expectations. Where I I was like, yeah, we're gonna get half a day for free. <laughs> nope. Turns out it's probably gonna be just about the same amount of money either way until we're finally getting them into actual kindergarten. And then then we'll finally get to put that sweet sweet daycare tuition into their college savings fund. There you go. There you go. So let's hop over to our member mailbag. Uh, if you have a question or comment for our member mailbag segment, you can send it to us at AffinityFCU on Facebook or X slash Twitter with the hashtag member mailbag. All right, so today's question or comment is, my partner and I are big savers. We currently rent and have big plans of purchasing our dream home. 
The issue we are running into is the timing just never seems right. Either the house isn't the right fit or the price is just way out of our budget. How can we manage this? We are starting to feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Oof, it's a tough one. Yeah. I can can say to that, sometimes when you stop looking, that's when things kind of fall in place, right? So Mm. budgeting, um, I I don't think, especially with a purchase like that, you shouldn't settle, right? Um, To say that there is a perfect home is probably very unrealistic as well, but you don't want to settle and just think, well, this is the best we're going to get, right? If you have expectations and, and you know what you want, you should be able to go out there and, and again, be patient and make sure that you get what you want. But at the same point, um, I think ensuring that you're both on the same page, you both understand what that looks like. Um, but again, it's, that's a very big purchase. I would not jump into something if you're, if you're not fully prepared um, to take it on. And at the same time, like I said, sometimes when you stop looking so hard, things will just come to you, right? When, when you're not looking for that perfect home, that's when that alert might pop up that there's a home for sale in that area you want to be in within your price range and has everything you want. So it's a, that's a tough question to answer, but that would be my advice. Yeah. Uh, Heather, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? So I am one of the most impatient people and I had to learn how to have patience when it came to buying our house. We we bought a house a year ago, but it didn't come, you know, right away. We kind of had to rely on other people to help us out because I had sold my place and we didn't have anywhere to go because that was the market. Um, but, you know, patience was key. And, you know, I didn't want to rush into anything because that can kind of make you miscalculate about how much you can afford because you just want to get it because it's there. Um, but you can end up getting something that's out of budget. You didn't have time to think about it and let it sink in. And as Sean said, you know, it's, you can drive yourself crazy because I was going on Zillow like 10 times a day, just refreshing over and over and over. And it was just making me go crazy. So the way that we actually found our places, I stopped looking and then I got an email from Zillow and I'm like, wow, that was weird. But it ended up working out and uh, definitely don't rush into it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, this this is realistically probably one of the biggest purchases you're, you're ever going to make. So, you know, rushing it is probably not a good approach. Um, one of the things that my wife and I ran into when, when we were buying our house is we were probably looking for about six months and then after that, we started to get frustrated and, and we expanded where we were willing to live. And just by, you know, kind of going an additional 15 minutes down the highway west made how much we could afford a significantly different factor. Um, you know, we, we went from looking at kind of like these renovated summer lake cottages that had all sorts of weird floor plans and, you know, just not enough space or bedrooms or was like built on a, what looked like was going to, you know, topple down a hill at any moment to, you know, your traditional single family house with the backyard that we wanted and, and the bedrooms that we wanted. So, I mean, location is really key when it comes to real estate. Be, be a little bit more flexible in where you're willing to look be willing to go a few more minutes down the road 
towards the less populated areas, that's usually um, helpful in, in finding something that's more affordable. Um, but also think about it as, are you buying your forever home today? Probably not. You know, if, if you're going from a renting situation to buying a home, your dream home might be too aspirational for this first jump. Uh, you know, think about what is your right now home? What's, what's your okay home for, for today? Um, and, and the other thing too is people stress a lot about interest rates, but, you know, in theory, as long as you're well-employed and, and well-skilled, you're probably at the poorest point in your life. You know, your income's probably going to go up. You're probably going to save a little bit more over time. So, you know, if you buy the house now and you don't have enough for that 20% down payment that you really want, maybe buying it now, refinancing it in the future, you know, maybe you can get rid of PMI, maybe it can make your payments a little bit more affordable. As long as you can, you know, make it without it being too much of a point of stress, that's also something else to consider. Um, but don't don't be rash about it. Take your time. Be patient. Um, you know, and and just just be a little bit more flexible in not looking in a super specific area and not looking for that that dream home. Um, the, those are those are two ways that you can kind of really find yourself in a tight spot and, and set yourself up for for disappointment. Well put. All right. Thank you. That brings us to today's product spotlight. And we are once again talking about Affinity's Smart Start Savings Account. And whether you're saving for a down payment, dream vacation, or rainy day, we're here to help you earn more toward your financial goals with Affinity's award-winning high-yield Smart Start Savings Account. Affinity's Smart Start Savings earns 4.0 annual percentage yield on the first 10,000 in savings, which is eight times the national average as reported by the FDIC. This means a higher savings rate on more dollars for Affinity members. For those new to the program, it's unique for its inverted interest structure that encourages our members to get started on their savings journey with no minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. It is a great way to start building your emergency fund, and since this structure allows for easy access to funds when you need it, with no limitations or transfers or withdrawals. Did I mention Smart Start is award-winning? Affinity's Smart Start Savings account was recently recognized Best Credit Union Savings Account for Deposits Under $10,000 by CNBC Select and was previously recognized as Best High Yield Savings Account by The Buy Side from The Wall Street Journal. Save smart, earn more, and reach your financial dreams quicker with Smart Start. Visit affinityfcu.com forward slash smart start to learn more. All right. We talked about a lot today. Um, hopefully, this was an enlightening conversation for our listeners. They got some strategies on how to... Uh, plan for future future kids in their life or uh, just in general, how to talk about finances with their family. Uh, you know, before I opine any further, Heather, why don't you uh, give us some final thoughts on on the conversation today and what's your, your final takeaway? So um, I honestly, I love talking to both of you because we, we kind of have the same view on, you know, conversations, healthy communication. And um, I'm, I'm really glad that you guys invited me back for a second time. This was a uh, this is actually informative to me because you kind of put another perspective. Like maybe there's a couple other ways that, you know, my husband and I can try. So just want to say thank you. And I hope that this conversation helped um, all the listeners as well. Yeah, we love having you on here, Heather. You make it easy. <laughs> Thanks. We're bringing you back again. Yep. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, Heather. You'll be back in no time. <laughs> I, uh, 
what I will say to kind of wrap things up from, from my perspective too is, and you don't have to have the answers, right? I feel like I say this on every one, every podcast, but you don't have to have the answers, especially as a couple. Um, but you need to have agreed upon direction. That would be my advice. Um, we would love to have this conversation with you with one of our branch representatives, one of our representatives over the phone. There's a tremendous amount of resources on our website. Um, but first and foremost, make sure that you have the conversation, you agree upon the direction that you want to go. Once you you have that figured out, um, I really encourage you all to use us as a resource um, because we can, we can kind of, again, help make your unique dreams a reality, right? So I always encourage people to come see us in the branches, give us a call. Um, we're happy to go through this with you and we love to see the success stories that come out of these conversations. So appreciate the listeners for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, echoing some of that sentiment, just, just have a plan. Uh, just make sure that you talk about what the plan is. It doesn't have to be down to the penny. It doesn't even have to be down to the dollar. Just make sure that you're on the same page about what's important in your financial lives, who's going to manage what, um, you know, you don't want to have any surprises or blind spots. And, and really the best way to do that is, is talking about it. And if you don't have an answer to something, that's fine. Sean and his friends over in the branch world and, and, and on our- Happy on to our, do it. Yeah, yeah. They got some answers for you. You just got to stop in and, and, and reach out. So, uh, you know, again, thank you everyone for listening again today. Uh, we appreciate you joining. Um, you know, again, if, if you want to, have a question or a comment for a future member mailbag segment, you know where to find us. Uh, it's at Affinity FCU on Facebook or X slash Twitter, and just give us the hashtag member mailbag. Um, and then as always, you know, rate, like, and subscribe for more of the Wellbeing in Your Wallet podcast. You can, of course, visit us at affinityfcu.com for more information about financial well-being and Affinity products. Uh, did want to also mention if you're in the Denville, New Jersey uh, neighborhood, you will be seeing our location reopening sometime soon. So, you know, if you're around there, stop Very by. Very exciting. Very yep. exciting. Yes. So, uh, you know, as always, we love talking to you guys. We love having you, you send us your comments and your thoughts. So keep that up. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening and be well. <laughs>